So you've decided to give up that old behavior that's been killing you and all you care for and surrender to a power greater than yourself. That's the first step. Surrender is what opens the prison door. Now it's time to walk through that door and into a whole new way of life. Spirituality, self-care, service, social connection, and the simple daily disciplines that pave the way to lasting freedom. This is Positive Sobriety. Welcome to another episode of the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Oh, we are regressing to some older technology here, David. Uh, yes, we are. Back to uh, <laughs> the land of the Zoom. <laughs> Back to the land of the Zoom because we've got some special circumstances for today's episode. We're talking to a moving target, a guy who is not sitting at a desktop uh, computer somewhere, but off driving out west. Uh, but let me see. It looks to me now. Now that we're on Zoom, nice thing is I've got video. I can see uh, you. I can see your smiling yeah. face, which I haven't seen in a good long while. <laughs> Absolutely. It looks yeah, to me likewise. as though you are. It looks to me as though you're in your office. How is the I practice am. going? The practice is going well. I am um, staying really busy, and that's you know in my world that's a good and a and a bad thing, but uh, I'll tell you the um, the climate that we live in right now is just driving folks right out of uh, their um, comfort zones and into into help, you know, yeah. which is encouraging. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's busy. It's busy here. I'll tell you what. Uh, yeah, any of us who work. Uh, with addicts or in addiction treatment or in recovery, it's this is a busy time. Yeah, uh, because uh, you know it's an uncomfortable. We we find ourselves in uncomfortable situations, in uh, 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 new, unfamiliar, uh, frightening situations. It's an unpleasant state to be in. Mm -hmm. uh, we have brains that remember how to change our states in one way or another. Mm -hmm. uh, this uh, odds of relapse uh, improved, uh, you know, climbed dramatically when we're oh, under yeah. this kind of pressure. Yeah. Uh, but also, I think opportunities for discovery, uh, for intervention. We're living in some ways, uh, you know, more isolated from the world, but closer to the, you know, those of us who are in families, you know, uh, I can't escape to the office as often as I used to. So I'm at home. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so I think, I think there's more interventions happening now, mm -hmm. or at least more confrontations with addiction. It's harder to, harder to hide it, harder to conceal it. Mm -hmm. um, and that I suppose is a positive. It seems to me as though more people are moving voluntarily or being moved toward recovery right now mm -hmm. uh, than before the pandemic. That might be my imagination. Well, I think it's true. And I think that people who have been in recovery for a while are uh, taking it seriously again. Um, mm -hmm. it, maybe those of us that um, have had a lot of sobriety or long-term sobriety 
um, are realizing the need to maybe up our game again where our recovery is concerned. Um, oh, yeah. Some of our complacency has been revealed <laughs> to ourselves, yeah. you know, yeah. and, uh, and some practices uh, that we have let slide have got to uh, maybe be resurrected, you know, yep. Um, yep. and, uh, you know, just thinking of my own life, just self-care, um, personal, spiritual um, uh, pursuits that, uh, that enrich me and, and give me a, a fuller tank uh, yeah. for myself. Um, and, uh, all of those things, you know, those are, uh, and connection with people on a regular basis, even if it's, yes. you know, even if it has to be virtual or smaller groups, you know, um, all those things have become really important to me again. And, uh, not Boy, that, that they it... weren't before, but you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Boy, that's my story as well. And we talked about it in the last episode, the way that I really have, um, been driven to go uh, to get really more deliberate restart some of those uh disciplines from early recovery that were so valuable yeah uh, during those years of getting started in sobriety yeah, yeah. so yeah. life is difficult but life is good it's strange but it's rich in ways uh it, it's as though for me as though life has narrowed but deepened Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have talked to so many people that feel like their lives have gotten smaller in a good way. Mm-hmm. You know, the distractions and all the things that um, made so much noise in our lives yeah. uh, before, um, you know, those getting trimmed away while they've had their own impact in culture and economically and yeah. all those other yeah. things. You know, it is, it is not a bad thing to stay home and cook a meal. You know, I mean, and before it was like, uh, that was just because I couldn't go out. You know, that's Uh the only reason to stay able to cook is, you know, I couldn't get out. But, but now it's, it feels like, you know, finding some people that, um, I can, uh, you know, be cautious with that I know are safe and, uh, we get together and, uh, and cook, you know, yeah, simple. But um, it's like, wow, this is this is kind of nice. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, hey, you've done a wonderful job of tracking down a guest for this week's episode. Uh, he is a moving target, but you've managed to secure a conversation with him anyways. Uh, hang on, <laughs> listeners. Uh, this is going to be a fun one. We'll be back in a minute with Stephen James on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Uh, this is kind of an unusual interview. Uh, I, I, we are uh, at a considerable distance from the person we're having this week's conversation with, uh, conducting this conversation via, I don't know, some kind of vast network of electronic connections, because you are, Stephen James, uh, somewhere in the Western United States. Where are you? <laughs> I am uh, just uh, near Leadville, Colorado. Oh! The, uh, yeah, right there. Um, on Leadville, I-70. that's the highest city in the U.S. Well, really? In lot, lots of ways, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's also, 
also home to the apparently this because of this billboard I can read home to the National Mining Museum. So uh, <laughs> wow! Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I have been to this Leadville. Is... The the air is very thin in Leadville, Colorado, yeah, and yeah, you're sitting in the cockpit of some exotic automobile. Sure, I'm in my car. Uh, I'm uh, two days into a almost cross country drive from Nashville to uh, St. George, Utah. So I'm on my oh. second second leg of a three leg journey. So okay, and what's what's at the end of that trip? What's taking you out to Utah? Yeah, um, I, uh, three or four times a year, I get together. Uh, I take groups of leaders out to do adventuring. We go into the wilderness. We either snowmobile or motorcycle ride or UTV adventure. Um, this will be a combination of UTVs and motorcycles, where we'll have about ten ten guys that uh, are all leading in some capacity and uh, they'll meet me out here and we'll take their phones away from them. We'll put them on motorcycles and we'll take off into the woods for four days uh, with a chef. Have a chef come <laughs> <with us>. so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't um, forget that part. <laughs> yeah, so we, well, we, we spend our days playing hard and we spend our nights sitting around the campfire having really meaningful, honest, heartfelt conversation about what it means to live fully and how do we care for our families and ourselves and carry the burdens of leadership and all the things that, that a lot of us kind of struggle with. Wow. That sounds like, uh, it sounds like the kind of therapy that really appeals to me, frankly. How does one get on that list? <laughs> <laughs> Go to the leadership lab.co. Okay. Uh, yeah. So uh, we've got two trips coming up this fall. We're going to death Valley. To ride motorcycles and then we're doing uh grand canyon utvs or we camp on the side of the grand canyon it, this is it's so fun it's so fun wow. we're gonna do a father-son trip next year um father teenage college age son trip it's kind of in my heart to do for next year but um it's a it's a blast man it's a blast yeah well that sounds like it yeah. well build, uh, the, build the job you want right like yeah. there you go <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> well, listeners, uh, Stephen James is uh, a seasoned therapist of uh, considerable renown here in Middle Tennessee. I've known him for quite a number of years. I've seen uh, the product of his work. I uh, really appreciate all that you do, Stephen. And also an author with uh, a new book, not his first book, but a new book coming out, co-authored with Chip Dodd. Uh, Hope in the Age of Addiction, How to Find Freedom and Restore Your Relationships comes out next week. What's the, yeah. What was the vision for the book? How, how did you guys get rolling on this one? Um, you know, I met Chip 22 years ago now when he was writing Voice of the Heart, and I helped him mm -hmm. edit that and write that, which I think you know, you're familiar with. I think a lot, of the, a lot of people are familiar with that book. Yeah. And you know, Chip's, Chip's been a leader in the addiction field for over 30 years now. Right. And he's right, never yeah. written an addiction, never written an addiction book. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Um, which I thought ironic. We, uh, we didn't set out to write an addiction book. We got a contract to write two publish two parenting books from our publisher. We wrote one parenting book called parenting with heart. And neither one of us ever wanted to write a parenting book after that. Cause we said everything we wanted to say. Uh, and, <laughs> But but we looked around and said, you know, what's the thing we really need to be talking about that's the core of the human struggle right now, it, it, forever and ever, but specifically right now. 
And it's the idea of addiction, that we're addicted as a culture, mm -hmm. uh, specifically mm -hmm. Western culture um, has, has bought into this myth that happiness is the point, that feeling good is the point and not living fully and not struggling for meaning and not living generously and compassionately. And, and it, because of that, that, that kind of happiness factor, addiction has just taken over our, our culture in ways that um, it truly is a pandemic. The first title for the book was, was called The Pandemic. Um, we had to scratch that title uh, because wow. it's another pandemic. That turned out to be taken. It turned out to be taken. But I'll tell you this, right now in America alone, there's over 100 million people in active addiction. Mm. Wow. So it, it makes COVID look like child's play, right? Mm -hmm. That's just America. Um, and we don't actually do a great job of, of keeping numbers. Uh, but when you look at a hundred million people in active addiction and every person in active addiction directly affects three people, um, that are in their relationship with. So we're talking 400 million people who are living in despair, or living in woundedness or living in shame or living in discouragement, uh, trauma because of this, this beast, uh, this, this demon that, um, has ensnared us. So both personally and culturally, like it's, it's come after us. And mm -hmm. so we, we, Chip and I started talking and, you know, he's getting older and, um, you know, is in a kind of a transition towards not the end of his working career, but working differently. And I kind of twisted his arm and said, we've got to write a book, man, but while you're, while you can still talk, uh, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, <laughs> I don't want to have to write it by myself, you know, cause relationships the point. So we, we started writing this book and kind of, um, so what what do we want to say, you know, and really one of the cool things about it for me and Nate, you were kind enough to, to help out is there between each chapter, there's a person telling their own personal story of recovery in the book. Right. And, yeah. and so it's, it's beautiful. Like we actually wrote very little that we wrote about half the book and the rest of the book was written by friends who were just living fully in recovery. And mm. um, cause we wanted people to know that it's actually possible. Like the hope of, of living in relationship, of, of living in recovery, of, of having a life that was more than you could ask or imagine uh, is actually there. And there's lots of us doing it, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. So, yeah. 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 I wonder if we could just backtrack a minute. We really like our listeners to get to know our guests uh, on a, on a personal level. So sure. we, we, so, uh, you know, we like to ask the question, you know, what is the long and winding road that brought you, to the point, uh, to, to the work you're in. I, I'm assuming that you didn't wind up in the addiction field, the recovering field, you know, just out of idle curiosity, but something brought you there. Do you have time yeah. to tell us my, a little bit about that? Oh, man. Uh, you know, my, probably, sadly, my massive codependency and my need to try to save the world because I couldn't save my family. Like the mm. short ah, nugget. Right? There you go. Um, yeah. Now, I didn't know that. Like, I didn't know that, you know. And a lot uh -huh. of good has come, a lot of good has come from that, right? But, uh, you know, I grew up in a, a very typical um, middle, upper middle class family. And by typical, I mean, uh, we had a lot of secrets. We had a lot of uh, poor relationship. We had, uh, you know, two parents, two kids, um, you know, and in the midst of that, you know, I experienced sexual some, some pretty significant sexual trauma growing up. Uh, mm. So by the time I got to college, I was primed for one, my, my kind of pose of being a hero and of being mm -hmm. the golden child and of 
taking massive amounts of responsibility, right? Like mm-hmm. that was me, right? I was, a, yeah. I was that good kid. Um, and I had that other life going on. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so I was, I was always doing both those. Um, and I don't have like a, you know, my, where I was and where I am and how I got here story is pretty unremarkable. In fact that like, you know, I first began to crawl my way out of it uh, when I met my wife in college and really yeah. began to believe that somebody could love me for me. Right. And then yeah. I started making like, you know, real male friends who would mm-hmm. actually call me. And now I didn't, that what was interesting to me is like the two best friends I had uh, were both in 12 step recovery. So they were, they were loving me into freedom um, before I even knew what was happening. Right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. it's that, you know, that goes back 20 something years ago now. And so it's been a, a very additive process along the way of gaining more and more of myself, more and more freedom, uh, more and more relationship, more and more surrender, more and more heartache, um, more and more disappointment. Yeah. Uh, I wish I could say that, uh, you know, where I am now um, is always great. And it's not. Uh, you know, my wife and children can attest to me being a husband and father is not always the best thing to be around. You know, mm-hmm. uh, my employees will, will say that I could be aloof, you know. Uh, but, you know, I started, I went to graduate school. Um, to get a counselor, actually went to graduate school for a divinity degree and was better at the counseling stuff. And it sounds like, well, this is actually like, I've been like managing people's emotions since before I could talk. So this is actually pretty easy. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I've, I've, you know, and I had some great teachers studying under Dan Allender at Seattle school. So I, you know, I got a counseling degree, you know, came back to Nashville, um, you know, almost 20 years ago now and was in a private practice for a long time. And then I started Sage Hill Counseling and trying to really create something beyond me. That's not about me, but that's yeah. really about how trying to help our city and help our community and living the generosity, right? Giving away all that I've received now is what I'm trying to do. So um, yeah. that's the nutshell. You know? Yeah. Well, Stephen, that's, uh, I, I want to ask you about your title uh, of the book. Um, hope in the age of addiction. I, when I think of age of addiction, I hear that like an era, um, like our era of addiction. And so how would you, first of all, am I, am I right in assuming that's what you guys mean by that? But secondly, um, how would you say our era differs from other seasons of time in history that we're more either prone or bought in um, to these unhealthy ideologies that, that drive us. But help me understand, break that title down for me. Yeah, so it, it's obviously a yes and, right? Like uh-huh. both and. Sure. Like addiction's always been there, right? Mm-hmm. Humans are primed for it, we're made for it. You know, uh, it's hard, it, you know, there's only three kinds of people. Those of us who are in recovery from something, those of us who haven't found out we needed it. And then there's like a <laughs> yeah. small, right? And then there's a small group of people that are like, genetically like not okay people you know mm-hmm. there's something really really wrong with them mm-hmm. that's a very small group so yes addiction's always been a problem for humans and uh in 1950s uh early 60s they invented this magic pill called valium mm-hmm. and it was the first blockbuster pharmaceutical drug mm. and it revolutionized how we thought about pharmacology and how uh 
uh, economy or capitalism thought about like ways to make money. Yeah. And there has been a very quick, take alcohol and drugs and sex, like in gambling, just the basics that have always been there. Right. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. there's now like a systematic grooming of addiction that's going on culturally in Western culture uh, because we are a people that don't like to struggle. We're a people that don't like to grieve. We hate to need. We abhor yeah. our feelings generally. We, have, we just want to be happy. And we're sold right. this dream that like happiness is the goal, right? Which is never attainable. Like mm-hmm. happiness mm-hmm. is rooted in the word happenstance. It happens. Like, like, like shit, like happiness happens. Like it just happens. <laughs> right. you know? ah! And, and then, it, then it stops happening and you can't do anything uh-huh. to control it. But our pursuit of it like makes us sick, you know? Right. Because um, then most of us find it right? Like we Mm -hmm. find some taste of it and then we want that again. And, you know, uh, and so I do think, yes, addiction's always been there. And we are in a, a a culture uh, uh, in human history, an era in human history that does, has forgotten that struggle and relationship is the point. Um, And Mm -hmm. it it is a post-World War II thing. And it is very much picked up through pharmacology since then um yeah. so so it's yes of both and but we i think we are in an age uh and and as y- y'all both know you know addiction and compulsive behaviors cut across every economic divide they cut across every racial divide they cut across every spiritual divide like it is it is the human common denominator is that people want something to help them feel better than their life is made to feel you know, we want mm-hmm. heaven on earth. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I imagine, uh, Stephen, that it must have been providential for you to encounter Chip Dodd. Uh, his, he, he was one of the first guys I ever met who really lives wide open emotionally all the time. Unbelievable. Yes. Just to be around him. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, exhausting. It, I love it. Yeah. It's exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> The man, I mean, he's one of my closest friends. I'll say that, I say this, he, he practices what he preaches. Like yeah. He lives, he tells the truth, he feels his feelings. And if you're going to be in a relationship with him, he expects to, that you do the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't always want to live with that much integrity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you're coming from kind of a button-down background, especially when yeah. you put kind of a religious overlay on that and then – you know, professional expectations for how, you know, how we're going to function culturally. And then you encounter somebody who just seems to disregard all those rules. <laughs> Likes to break them. Yeah. Lives yeah. to break them. Yeah. 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 I first, I first, first met Chip was in a conference room at the publishing company that was, we were going to do his first book and he was teaching the voice of the heart, teaching the eight feelings. Right. And I was the young hotshot that was called in to kind of debunk it all. And, you know, be yeah. the postmodern guy. And, and so I say, you know, why is love not a feeling and why are there only seven good ones and one bad one? And, and he got up on one side of the room and said, I'm going to walk towards you. And when you tell me, when you start having a feeling, let me know and I'll stop. Well, you know, this was 20 something years ago. So Chip's a big guy. He was even bigger then. Right. Uh-huh. And he, mm-hmm. he got, yeah. he got right up to me. And the only thought I had in my head was we're going to fight. Like that's, that's, that was, I was not mm. unaccustomed to the 
to fisticuffs at that point yeah, yeah. in my life, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm thinking, we're going to fight. He goes, what are you feeling? And I said, I'm feeling like one of us is going to get punched. And he took a step back because I couldn't identify an emotion going on inside of me at all. I was that bound up. I was depressed. I was anxious. You know, I was, I was trying to find my mood-altering choice. I was trying lots of different things at that point, you know. Yeah. And, and he saw – you know, he'll say he saw my hunger and he saw my tenacity for truth. And um, I'm a little bit like him. I don't mind disrupting the status quo. And so mm-hmm. I think he and I became good wrestling partners, good sparring partners. And we worked on that, his book, Voice the Heart together for a year. And we've been really close friends since, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, and he really has led me. He's a, he's a good friend and he's a mentor. Um, and we've kind of come to a place where we both mentor each other at this point, you know, we mm-hmm. both have our own maturity yeah. and expertise, but there's a, it's a deep male friendship. And, uh, man, that, that, that man lives wide open all yeah. the time. So, yeah. 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 And I love it so, and I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, right. we, we've had him on the podcast before and he is, um, he's the best interview because you just ask the question and hit play, you know, and he's his ghost. <laughs> he just talks. It's perfect. Talks. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he knows what he's <laughs> talking about, which is what he's not, he's not BSing. He actually believes he's one of the most passionate guys I've ever met, you know? Yeah. And Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. yeah now, now, if, if I'm understanding you correctly, you're saying that, uh, you know, this pandemic that we suffer yeah. from far more wide reaching and far more fatal even than the COVID one. Far, in, in terms far of, more uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, begins with a false hope, right? A hope that we can be perpetually happy. Well, it really begins, even before that, it begins with the desire to belong and matter. Like, okay. I want security. Like, we humans are made with this deep, 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 deep emotional and spiritual need to belong and matter, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and when that doesn't, get met for us just being us we start looking for a performance an identity like something to do or act way to act way to be that's going to get me the love that i can get or the belonging i'm looking for right so we we start doing that super mm-hmm. early that gets exhausting right? yes that's that's because yeah. on top of that it's like codependency you know and like i'm i'm not okay unless you're okay and my job is to make you happy first all that stuff's exhausting, right? The performance-based yeah. identity, shame-based, toxic, toxic shame stuff that's going on. So then I start looking for something to make me happy, right? Because that doesn't really make me happy. Mm-hmm. So I need a break from all this hard work that I'm doing to belong and matter. I got to take a break, you yeah. know? Um, and what, and those th- the things that work really well on humans are the things that mood alter us from shame and anxiety to a feeling of security. Mm-hmm. And when, when I am in a distressed, psychologically distressed or vulnerable place, I'm feeling shame or I'm feeling anxious or insecure. And then I do something or ingest something that then changes my neurochemistry to make me not feel that way. Those are the most durable neurons that a human brain can create. Mm-hmm. Like we are, we love those things. We lust those things. Mm-hmm. We, and then we start looking for those things on an unconscious level, right? Right. Yeah. We, start fi- we start finding them, right? And those things make us happy, right? So yes. there's the, 
there's the search for happiness, but happiness is really a relief from the work I'm doing to try to belong and matter. Yeah. You know? mm. to, yeah. To find the love and acceptance and belonging and matter. Like I need a tribe where I can just be me and belong for just being me. You know, just like Samson. That's what Samson society is, right? It's that, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. And, and, and so most of us, like all of us, but most of us didn't have that fully in the families we had growing up. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and most of us that are high achievers, like I've had the fortune of working with professional athletes and music industry people and really successful executives. Every high achiever I've ever met was initiated into adulthood very early, mm-hmm. right? earlier than other people. Right. Mm-hmm. And most of those people have found some, something to mood alter with usually success first, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. performance first, accomplishment first. And then when that doesn't really work, they need to break, they find the thing to take a break with. And what, what ends up happening in the world of addiction is the thing that I ended up trying to take a break with ends up owning my life and will destroy me long-term. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. It, and it doesn't, we don't, no one starts their day thinking, you know what? I think I'm going to start using pornography today. And then in a few months, I'll probably cross the flesh line and act out with a friend's wife. And then before long, I'm going to find myself in jail for soliciting a prostitute. Like, no, it's, that's not a decision people make. <laughs> right. You yeah, know? right. It's and not most the often, the decision, the decision they make is like, holy crap, what am I doing? I'm not going to do this again. I promise yeah. never to do this again. And they try really hard to not yeah. do it again. Yeah. You know? And that actually primes addiction more because they're do they're trying to not to do something that they can't help but do they end up feeling shame and despair all over again which then makes that thing more available it's a really sick cycle and it's yeah and it's unavoidable so yeah the thing i that that resonates with me Stephen, because my biggest thing was alcohol um and the thing i loved about drinking wasn't drinking it was that I didn't have to be me for a little while. You know, the persona could take a break and I could catch my breath and I felt relief and release from being me. And, um, and then, you know, the only way I learned eventually, I thought the only way I have of avoiding me is by drinking. It wasn't because I loved rum or because I loved feeling like shit in the morning or because I liked any of that, but I sure like not having to be me for a while because I didn't know yeah. any other way off the ride. So that yeah. totally resonates. Yeah. It was I, really I, the, the you of your fault. You got to not be the, on the ride of your false self. Exactly. Right. The like, persona. Yeah, right. You, yeah. You got to come back with a sense, the feel of coming back home to yourself again, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but it wasn't really home. It was like a cheap, flea flea motel but it felt but it was better than it was better than being the head the headliner at the circus yeah you know? like that's exhausting that's the a lions, yeah because it was a hell of a circus yeah yeah high wire acts i mean all that stuff you know yeah yeah i think uh, the, i think the movie the great the greatest showman is a great mm-hmm. movie of addiction it's a mm-hmm. great addiction movie right mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. You have a man who is looking for the kind of acceptance and, the, and he's trying to bring people joy and he's trying to be famous and he wants to be loved. And he, I mean, and he's willing to forsake the love of his wife and love of his children to try to go find that in the world. 
right? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. to the point of no matter how big it got, it was never big enough, you know? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. what a great story of, and then he, you know, falls apart and there's great singing and we all cry and, you know, <laughs> athlete, right? but, but yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's that movie. It's, it's, it's a wonderful life is another great story of addiction recovery, mm-hmm. you know, uh, where he says, I want to live again. Clarence says, let me, let me live again, you know? Mm-hmm. And he yeah. had, he had come to the end of himself and, you know, and we all three of us know this, like if we're going to live full, we have to be, unfortunate enough to come to the end of ourselves that something has to happen yeah. that wakes us up and yeah. has us cry out you know for help um, yeah. and we've been fortunate enough that we have found somebody or something reaching back to pull us up out of our despair you know mm-hmm. um and we were we believed in this other thing so much that we we're willing to believe in anything okay i'll believe in anything like if you if you <laughs> yeah. tell me to make a list of all the things i've done wrong i'll make that list you know like yeah. if you want to know my deep dark secrets, I'll tell them to you. If you t- right. you promise me that's going to help, okay, I'll do it. Right? Um, yeah. Because who who would live the life that I know the three of us are living voluntarily? Like right. no <laughs> no one would do this. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but it's so much better than where we were. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. You know, yeah. So much better. Well, I remember it for one thing. That's you know, yeah. <laughs> I had yeah. my memories. But, yes. Uh, Steve, let me ask you a cultural question because, you know, this, this age of addiction, I'm still back, I'm still back on that um, too, but um, do you feel like this other pandemic that we're experiencing as a culture right now, that's absolutely altering everything about the way we relate, interact, don't interact, all of that. Do you have any um, like secret crystal ball predictions about how we're going to be different when we come through this? time i know that's like Man. putting you on the spot in a 64 well, question well what, what it answer, does but... is it, it 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 seduces my hubris and my arrogance that like the, the <laughs> well, assuming from the most <laughs> humble position you can assume well, <laughs> that you well, have a thought <laughs> i think i think one you know one of the helpful things that i know and i've been talking to people about the last couple of weeks is covid's here to stay mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so we have to we need to wrap our heads around and our hearts around the idea that this isn't going away, mm-hmm. that there's uh, even if a vaccine comes out this year, we're still five to seven years away at best from herd immunity. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's with everybody taking a vaccine that works. Right. Yeah. So, so th- there is something that's happened. Um, and if I was to step back from it, I think what's going to come out the back end of it is a greater divide of, of the shift in culture from, people who are trying to control life and can't right mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. people that have accepted and are moving more into powerlessness over over life and accepting what life is you right. know because there's some of us that like like i covid's not i mean it's it's a bigger deal for other people than it is for me like mm-hmm. i like oh that there's this giant thing that's out to get me okay like yeah yeah and i can't control it <laughs> i can't control it and i can i can i can wear my mask and that may kind of help a little bit sometimes but uh-huh. other times it doesn't and oh my gosh what do i do it's like oh yeah i've, I've done this all right yeah. i'll just follow good early direction today what am i supposed to do today you know right and um and i think the 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 grief we're going through globally the the anxiety we're going through globally um certainly we're all feeling um, and I think as we get used 
because we grieve our way through it. And those of us who've already have learned how to grieve into life, mm-hmm. right? Like we, we have fallen down and have found that grief doesn't kill us and shame won't kill us. I yeah. think we actually could be standard bearers for how to live in, on this side of the pandemic, you know, yeah. and yeah. that it like, it's okay. Uh, small groups are actually better than big groups. Like, duh. We mm-hmm. all do that. <laughs> right? Like, uh-huh. you know, like we don't have time to waste, you know, let's like forget the concert. Let's get together and just tell the truth. Yeah. You know, so I think there's some tools that we have in our tool belt that people need right now. Um, yeah. And uh, I, but I do think the anxiety and the grief is triggering a lot of PTSD in people, mm-hmm. a lot of unprocessed, um, you know, the math of COVID is, is, like really bad for, for older people, you know, people who mm-hmm. are immunocompromised or people who have a comorbidity, like the math is really bad for those people. For other people, the math's not so bad, but we're seeing the counseling center right now, we're seeing explosions of anxiety, explosions of addiction, mm-hmm. explosions of depression, because people don't know what to do with their feelings. And all they're yeah. having are feelings right now about yeah. COVID. Like no yeah. one's really, most of the people, who are the most sick right now aren't sick of COVID. COVID's killing people and COVID's bad and mm-hmm. it's exhausting being, being vigilant around. But this, what we're seeing is the mental health crisis that's coming along with the anxiety about this thing I can't control and the right. grief, not knowing how to process grief and find the acceptance that comes to the processing grief. People know how to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and they're buying into this myth that if they just follow the right rules, and do them hard enough or to go the other way and say, screw the rules. I'm not following the rules. Right. Which is a, again, an addiction stance, you know, mm-hmm. I, know I know what's best. Right. So you've got the one group who are trying to follow all the rules. It's driving them crazy. You've got another group who are reacting, damn the rules. You can't tell me what to do. And then you've, I think mm-hmm. there's a middle way. There's a third way of those of us who know how to do grief, who know how to tell our stories, who know how to process feelings. I really think we can invite people into relationship right now in a, in a sustainable way. Um, because this, you know, it's, it's here to stay guys. Like it's here to stay. Yeah. Um, yeah. we've never cured a coronavirus, you know, yeah. like, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah. Um, the pandemic is endemic. It'll be here. We're just going to yeah. have to face it. Yeah. And so is addiction. There you so go. Is addiction, right. I mean, so, you know, last year we had 200,000 deaths last year of direct alcohol related, alcoholism related deaths, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Opioid abuse, opioid overdoses are up 14% this year to date in August. Right. Uh, so we're, we're past last year's number of opioid abuse and we're only in August. We're way out, we way outpaced 2019, 2018. Like, so you know, that's exploding right now. Um, no mm-hmm. one's talking about that. It's worse than ever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and not to, not to mention sex addiction, anxiety addiction, which all neurochemistry and neuro, neuropsychology is showing now that anxiety actually is an addictive process mm-hmm. in the wow. brain. Yeah. And, um, and the, the pharmacological cure for anxiety, like is super effective, but it's not curative. It actually mm-hmm. just is addictive. Like Xanax is addictive right. after two weeks, right? It works, mm-hmm. but you become addicted to it, right? Mm-hmm. And so we're in this hamster wheel right now of, of people who are, are escalating. And I think it's just like a 
getting tighter and tighter of a, of a spiral. Um, I have actually a lot of hope in that because I know the other side of that is not the end of the world. It's actually the, the birth of something really good. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I believe because that's been my experience. Like my experience, yeah. strength and hope is like after all the wheels came off and I came home one day and told Heather, hey, I need to tell you some things about me. And she, this was 20 something years ago. And she said, her first comment was, I thought it was all my fault. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and, and that yeah. began this really beautiful, you know, I would say that that first movement of our, of really being married and growing and healing together is about five, six years of work. But man, where we are now, 25 years into marriage. Oh my God. I could I never, ever, ever pictured that I could be in a relationship with somebody that loves me as much as she does and as much as I love her. And that like, it's, it's cool. Like, it's just so cool. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so yeah. that's been like the biggest gift of my own healing and recovery has been my marriage for me. And that's not true for everybody. That's my story, but it gives me hope mm-hmm. around, around COVID that man, there's something it will, it will move into our grief and we'll stay with our feelings and we'll stay in the mm-hmm. process and surrender to a God that's bigger than us that we can't understand and struggle with that God and with ourselves and with each other in this, there's something really beautiful that can come out of this. There really is. I believe mm-hmm. that, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause that's yeah. been my story. That's my story. Right. So. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, the title of the book again is hope in the age of addiction. It's just about to release. Uh, it'll be available in fine bookstores everywhere and Amazon, I assume. Absolutely. Uh, if you were going to thumbnail, if you're going to thumbnail the message of the book, what would it yeah. be? Uh, addictions everywhere. So mm-hmm. regardless of what you believe or how faithfully you believe it, it's everywhere. Like uh, it, it is uniquely after people who are very moral, very driven, and very smart, it, it really gets them good. Okay. Yeah. So you can't yeah. outwork it, you can't outthink it, and you you know, and you can't outgood it, right? Like it's it mm-hmm. is there for you. Um, and so like that's the first part of the book is it it it's available to everybody, it finds everybody. I mean, like I said earlier, there's only really three kinds of people. Those of us who found out that we were screwed up and those of us who are about to find out we're screwed up, right? <laughs> um, or, yeah. or they're running from it. You know, they're running from it. Um, and, and then we moved from there in the book to it's really, we wrote, kind of rewrote a first step. Those people who are familiar with 12 steps, we rewrote a really beautiful, uh, very, very thorough first step exercise. That's kind of the middle of the book. Mm-hmm. And then we, we kind of spent the last third of the book talking about like, you know, tools, you know, relationship, and, but really most of the book, the beauty of it's just to inspire people that this is possible. That's the thumbnail of the book is we wrote enough original content that the publisher would give us our check at the end. And, <laughs> <laughs> and we, we used it to tell, I mean, really uh, the publisher has been really supportive. Um, I don't want to disparage them, but they were shocked that there were other addictions besides drugs and alcohol. Like they were shocked. Really? Like wow. Christian, Amazing. Christian, it's, a, it's a Christian publisher that, and I've been in this work for so long. I didn't know people still thought that way. These are really awesome people. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, they, yeah. But they were shocked that Christians struggle with addiction. Yeah. You know, and yeah, I'm like, yeah. Oh, do they, do they, I think more than other people. Like, yeah. 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 Know? Yeah. And, um, because we've got more shame about it than other people. Right. So, yeah. 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 So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a book written 
for Christians. Like it's, it's kind of a love letter. To, we wrote two love letters at the beginning of the book. One to the addict saying like, we love you and we know what it's like. And one to the family member or loved one of an addict saying like, we know what it's like. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. the book really is a love letter of hope for people to encourage them to move deeper into their own recovery or to move into recovery for the first time, you know? So. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. And yeah. uh, is there contact information in the book or uh, listeners? Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to ask you to give us a, uh, you know, your personal cell phone number to put on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, oh, yeah. but people who are intrigued by today's episode who want to reach out to you either for perhaps one of these adventure trips on down the road yeah. or to find out more about Sage Hill, what's the best way for them to reach you? Yeah, there's, there's three ways to find us. There's sagehillcounseling.com, right? So that, that kind of is the portal into the Sage Hill world. There's a podcast, all that stuff counseling centers, um, you know, there's chipdod.com, which mm-hmm. is kind of Chip's work that he's doing right now. Uh, and then there's leadershiplab.co. And that's my work that I do with executives and entrepreneurs and professionals. Um, we have a, we, we run uh, kind of cohort groups, six, six to eight people, and they stay together for three or four years of, of just really great people who are, have kind of our tagline is successful, now what? You know, they found success, but they've also found that that's not the answer to life, right? Yeah, right, so, right. Uh, so one, those three places, you know, chipdod.com, Sachel Counseling, or Leadership Lab are all ways to connect with the work we're doing. Yeah. Um, you know, and, you know, I'm such a giant fan of, of what y'all are doing too, Nate, that, um, you know, anything we can do to support y'all, let us know, man. Thank you. I sure appreciate it. Yeah. Well, meanwhile, brother, drive carefully out there on I seventy. Do I see? Do I see some raindrops on the on the window? Yeah, it, I am uh, high enough altitude that the clouds are like right here, and there's this little salmon pond or trout pond next to me, and I'm watching the fish come up. I mean, this is a great place to do it. <laughs> Colorado is is pretty remarkable. Uh, yeah. Unlike Kansas, is unremarkable. <laughs> I drove to Kansas yesterday, but I was surprised in its in its plain beauty. Like it was stunning. Like uh-huh. it was just really, really beautiful. But also I found out in Kansas you can drive as fast as you want. Like uh, oh, wow. I, I literally drove past police officers, they just wave. Like this is awesome. <laughs> not not so in Colorado, I'll tell you. Oh. That. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, you know, perhaps this is is a metaphor for life as well. The plains and the mountains all have a beauty of their own. And I'm on the way to the desert, so there we go. Right. All yeah, right. Okay. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Stephen. Listeners, stay David, with us. We'll be... Great being with y'all. Thanks so all much, right. Stephen. Thanks, man. We'll be back in a minute on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Nate, that's, uh, the, that's, that's such a cool uh, setting that Stephen was in. I've I, I loved having the Zoom today because I could actually see Colorado and be envious and resentful um, while he talked about all those great <laughs> things that he shared with us. <laughs> yeah, and I you do know, want to go to that, that campfire. I've I got to get on that list somewhere. So. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, when he talks about living a full life and he does it, you know, he, we have the conversation when we can look out the window of his damn Audi at, you know, at Colorado on his <laughs> totally. way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, I kind of like that deal. Well, uh, so many, uh, you know, telling phrases. I, I, I cannot, I, I, by the way, I think I'm included in the book. I made a small contribution to the book. Yeah, you are. Uh, I haven't read it yet. I got to get my copy. I'm now eager to uh, yeah. digest this thing. The, 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 the title again is Hope in the Age of Addiction, How to Find Freedom and Restore Your Relationships by Stephen James and Chip Dodd. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think that's it. I think time has flown. That's it for this episode. Yeah, but we've we, got more coming up. You've been busy lining up guests. Well, and yeah, we're, we've got some good things in store. And we don't want to forget our friends at Try Better Help. Oh, um, that's right. Yeah. We want to make sure we encourage our listeners. Try Better Help, H-E-L-P. Uh, trybetterhelp.com slash positive sobriety and you will get a 10% uh, discount on your initial uh, entry sessions and again folks you know this is an opportunity for therapy with licensed professionals licensed professional therapists uh, you can opt for the the same therapist again if you would like um, it is a great opportunity right now for folks that may not be able to get out or afford uh, a more traditional uh, approach in an office uh, in your local area, or if you live in an area where maybe um, good counseling isn't accessible, um, this is a great opportunity. So we wanna encourage our listeners, trybetterhelp.com slash positive sobriety. And also, if you would like to share a story with Nate and I, we would love to hear how your experience in this pandemic and in this uh, quarantine, things you're learning that are impacting your recovery in good and challenging ways. How is this season of life right now impacting you and your story in recovery? We'd love to hear from you. Nate, um, share our email address. <laughs> Positive sobriety podcast at gmail.com. There you go. All right. Well, I guess that's a wrap. Until next time, I'm Nate. I'm David. We're your pals on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. The Positive Sobriety Podcast is recorded at Crossroads for the Nations in Brentwood, Tennessee. Live producer Rex Schnelli, music by Rex Schnelli, theme music by Matt Ulrich, uh, hair and makeup by Lyle Lovett, uh, wardrobe <laughs> by Kathy Gifford. 